Episode 229 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Self-Publishing School. Learn how to write and launch your new book in as little as 90 days with free training from Chandler Bolt and get a free copy of his book published when you sign up for that free training. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. True delegation is where I tell my employee the expected outcome and whatever decisions they make, I must reward the fact that they made decisions. That is a true ego test for many entrepreneurs and many of us fail that. Hey there, I'm Jeff. Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. It is, of course, the Read to Lead podcast, where I believe that if you desire to be successful in business or in life or both, then you need to be an intentional and consistent reader. You've got to be a lifelong learner. And the Read to Lead podcast podcast is designed to help you know what to pay attention to as far as books are concerned and also for the ones that we feature bring you key insights and the main ideas from those books from today's most successful and inspiring authors now today i get to welcome back a guest who was first here about four years ago uh, in episode 56 his name is mike mccallowitz and his brand new book is called clockwork design your business to run itself now Before you check out, you're thinking, Jeff, I don't own my own business. I'm not an entrepreneur. That's okay. You will find this book valuable even if you are an employee or a manager or working for someone else. There's a lot in this book to help you be much better at what you do and help turn yourself into even more of a star than you already are. I'm going to ask Mike to share details about what he calls the survival trap that a lot of businesses fall into and have a lot of trouble getting out of. We'll talk about how to get out. Uh, We'll dig into his 4D process, he calls it, of doing, deciding, delegating, and designing, and how to know what amount of time to dedicate to each of those areas. I'll ask him how to identify your company's queen bee role and why you and your staff must protect it at all costs and much, much more. I've got some more details in just a moment about our sponsor, but before I do that, I wanted to let you know about Read to Lead University. It's my monthly book club where each and every month we come together and meet live online to walk through the book we've been spending that month reading. And I'm excited to let you know that if you especially enjoy today's conversation with Mike and hearing about the book Clockwork, then you'll definitely want to give Read to Lead University a try. Because in September, that's September 2018, Mike will be joining us live for our online book chat as we walk through with him his book, Clockwork. So if you don't get enough of it today, being a part of Read to Lead University will help take you deeper still. During the month of August 2018, it's just a dollar for the first 30 days to give Read to Lead University a try. You go to readtoleaduniversity.com and then during checkout, just enter the word August in the coupon code field. It's my little back to school special, if you will. And that'll drop the price from $30 to $1. So your first 30 days is just a buck and you'll be set to join us for our live discussion with Mike McCallowitz on his book, Clockwork. Again, go to readtoleaduniversity.com to find out more about my online book club. The discount code is August to get your first month for just a dollar. 
Well, speaking of deals that end soon, another one is that free book that my friend Chandler Bolt is giving away. It's called Published, helping you get your book written and launched in as little as 90 days. And it's absolutely free to you when you sign up for Chandler's free training. Now, I can only guarantee the availability of these books for free through the end of this month. So you've only got just a little bit of time. We're talking August 2018, mind you, in case you're listening to this far into the future. Just a few more days to take advantage of this free book from Chandler Bolt, helping you walk through writing and launching your book in as quick as 90 days. To sign up for Chandler's free training and get the book sent to you for free when you do, you just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. If you've tried to write a book, you know how hard it can be. And that's especially the case if you don't have a proven system in place that you can follow. And that's exactly what Chandler provides through his online training and through his book. Again, both free to you, but for a limited time when you go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. By age 35, Mike Michalowicz had launched two multi-million dollar companies. I would have liked to have done that just once by the time I turned 35. Uh, Today, he's the co-founder of uh, Profit First Professionals, a membership organization of accountants, bookkeepers, and business coaches who teach the Profit First method. He's also the co-founder of the Preventus Group, a consulting firm that utilizes his business growth methodologies. He's the host of the Profit First podcast. He's a globally popular speaker. And in addition to the book Profit First and several other books, he's written columns for the Wall Street Journal, Box Pro Magazine, Entrepreneur, Open Forum, Harvard Business Review, and more. And his latest book, which is out today, is called Clockwork, Design Your Business to Run Itself. Uh, Mike, I'm excited to have you back. Thanks for being here. Oh, Jeff, it's such a joy to be back, and it was such a pleasure to meet you face-to-face just a few weeks ago now. Uh, you are a tall drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very kind. It's very kind of you, sir. As a guy who is 5'9", uh, uh, or 5'8 if I'm being completely honest, I, I respect that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, on my license, I always said I was six feet, and then one day, this is about five years ago, the doctor measures me and says, oh, you're six one. And I'm like, well, you don't continue to grow in your 40s. He says, no, but he goes, you, you, your posture is very poor. Mm. So I, I've been cognizant of it and I've been trying to, and I've gotten like these, these posture corrector like devices now that they vibrate oh, wow. and shock you. And sure enough, I'm actually 6'1". Well, well, maybe I'm 5'10". You could be, sir. You could be. My wife is always on me about my posture. So, Well, before we get in, into the new book, I thought I'd have you share a bit about some of the ways that you're helping entrepreneurs through your, your coaching methodologies. I had a chance to uh, meet Dr. Sabrina, who I think yeah. is, is one of your coaches by extension, I guess you would say. Really uh, a right. delight to meet her, and I'd love to just hear more about that, how that process works. Yeah, so um, what we did is we, when I created Profit First, one of my books, it was interesting is uh, I did not anticipate this, but I pre-released the manuscript before it went to the publisher and um, sent a couple dozen people. And immediately, two people said, oh, I, I like the ideas. And they gave me some feedback. And they said, who is the accountant? Some people said, who's the bookkeeper? Others said, who's the coach that supports this? So that was the light bulb moment. Mm. I approached a few coaches and said, if I develop some kind of certification and maintenance program to keep you on the edge of what we're doing here, would you want to do this? Dr. Sabrina Starling was actually one of the first people to sign up. Mm. I'm thrilled to say today we have um, over 300 active participants and we have 
a location here in the U.S., but we actually opened an office in Australia, and we opened an office in uh, the Netherlands in a town called Armisfort, which is outside of Amsterdam. Wow. And uh, I think Profit First, the core system, uh, I think, is sound for any business. But what these coaches are doing is they're going into specific verticals or in different countries and modifying the system to match the nuances of that country or that industry and really amplifying the impact that Profit First has on those businesses. Well, moving to the book, talk about, as you mentioned early in the book, the survival trap you warn about and, and how it's a state that you say most entrepreneurs end up in and very few, unfortunately, escape from. Yeah. So my process of writing books, the most recent being clockwork, is to study existing businesses and apply a hypothesis I have. So my goal in writing this book was to identify a way for businesses to run themselves and have these hypotheses and theories, but then started to study businesses. And, and by the way, this for me has been a six-year process. So I started writing clockwork back in 2012, at oh. least started the initial research. And it was fascinating. I went into most small businesses and I found that the majority of business owners I studied were in what I've now defined as the survival trap. And what that is, is today their business is, is at point A. There is no real clarity around where point B is, except for I want to grow, I want to be successful. That, that's for most of these businesses I've met was their definition of a vision, which is no vision at all. Because here's what happened. They lived in the moment and would do whatever in the moment brought a modicum of more success or a modicum of more growth. So whatever was on today's plate, they would address just to really what I call survive. Mm. They'd say, oh, that one customer's complaining. Well, if I serve this customer and make them happy, I've taken a step forward to growing my business. But really, they put out a fire. Or if they had no sales coming in, it was a quiet period financially, many business owners were reverting to quick sales pushes like uh, deep discounts or <laughs> or a new product offering. So what I found is there, you know, point A is on the map. Any direction they took, up, down, left, right, any direction they took actually in the moment did get them out of that that desperation. But the next morning they woke up to the business that was at a new point A. And so they were taking another action to get out of the moment. Well many of these actions were counterbalancing. Like, you know, first they dodged to the left, then dodge to the right, <laughs> then go up, then go. And they ended up back in the exact same spot over and over. And this isn't for like a week. This is for years, for the lifetime of a business. I've discovered we need to have clarity on our intended outcome for our business. In the vision, there's many phenomenal books around this concept. We need to have clarity around it. That's part of it. So you need to know where point B is. But then every decision we make in the moment needs to be congruent with that outcome. That's the key, is that we take consecutive steps all in the same direction. And the final story is that later on in the book, I um, did some studying about research that was conducted in uh, the Black Forest in Europe, in Germany. Uh, and what they did in this study was they took people and they plopped them in the middle of the Black Forest and said, find your way out. And they had a GPS on the people and they were being monitored. But what they found is what we all know is people walk in circles. Hmm. When they have no clear landmark of where they're going, they think they're walking straight, but they actually walk in circles. And the reason is, is we all have a dominant side. Either you're left-handed or right-handed. That means you're either left-footed or right-footed. Hmm. And so what we're doing is we're making micro-adjustments or over-adjustments to our dominant side. So people actually take a slightly longer step on the right foot if you're right-handed, mm -hmm. therefore starting a circle. Now, obstacles and barriers come in the way, and we default to our strong side pushing off that foot. So it naturally forces us to go in the circle. They said the only way people can navigate the way out of the forest is with a clear destination, a clear vantage point. So if you don't have a GPS or some tool that 
tells you what to do every step of the way, you need to have a beacon. That's why I found businesses need. No business has a business GPS. There's no computer saying, okay, here's what you do in this moment. Turn left. Don't hire that employee. But we all can set that beacon. That's what we need to do to get out of the survival trap. Uh, well, Mike shares in the book a seven-part process for designing your business to run itself. And in step one, he says, is to analyze your, your company's time. And I was wondering, Mike, if you would share a little bit about the, the 4D process and, and, and getting the ratios uh, just so. Yeah. So uh, there's a phenomenal book out there called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. I believe it to be a, a must read. Mm. And the concept says don't work in your business, work on your business. Well, as I studied this concept, I realized that there's actually a throttle or a gauge or sequence of steps we go from working in to working on. Now, my definition of working in the business, and every business needs this function, is doing the work. So when we're doing the work, we are delivering the results that our clients have been promised. But as an owner of the business, we need to ultimately move to what's called designing. And designing is where we choreograph all of the resources of our business, our people, our equipment, choreograph it like an orchestrated dance, if you will, to bring us to what we just talked about, that outcome, that vision we have, coordinating the resources. Mm. But there's a throttle. It doesn't, this isn't a switch. It's not like one day you're working in the business and the next day it's like, oh, <laughs> now the business works for me with a throttle up. Well, it results in four Ds. The first stage we talked about is doing. The next stage is called deciding. Deciding is the very early stage growth where I bring on an employee or two, but I task rabbit them. And these could be contractors or virtual assistants. But task rabbiting is I say, go do invoicing, for example. And they go to do it. A second later, they send me a chat or they come into my office and say, hey, Mike, um, should I sort these invoices by last name or first name, right? And I make a decision. I say, oh, you know what? Our process will be last name. A second later, they leave. And then a minute later, they're back in my office and say, oh, should I invoice people in 15-minute increments or 30 or now, right? And it, it's this endless stream of questions. The funny thing is that in the beginning of hiring someone or bringing someone on board, we want them to ask questions. Mm. Because that means they're learning. When when this goes on for months at end, it becomes frustrating. And then that declaration comes out like, oh my gosh, these people are idiots. No <laughs> one is as good as me. And many businesses revert back to the entrepreneur saying, I'm not going to make all these decisions. It's too distracting. I should just do it myself. And they go back to doing. I've done that. <laughs> and so have I. You know, <laughs> yeah, and by the way, when, yeah, whenever I say so many entrepreneurs, it's often a self-reflection. Mm. Um I got so frustrated and it is true. I can get this stuff done faster, but I'm capped. If I do everything myself, it's all contingent upon my ability to work and grind it out. And I'm not a fan of grinding. I'm a fan of thinking, of coordinating. So we have to get past this deciding phase and we have to move to delegating. The irony is many people think they're delegating when they're actually making decisions for others. Mm. Delegation, Jeff, is the assignment of outcomes. It's where you come to me and say, Mike, we need to invoice clients so that we collect our money in a timely fashion. We have a process to do it. Um, I, we want to have a consistent process, but you are going to run into roadblocks during this, this experience. I hired you for the head on your shoulders. Make <laughs> proactive decisions to get us to this outcome. And if you're having problems getting to the outcome, make decisions to get us there. The key about that is when we assign outcomes, we, the entrepreneur, inevitably will undermine it when they come back in and we start making decisions again. <laughs> that undermines the whole thing. So we have to reward the decision-making process. True delegation is where I tell my employee the expected outcome and whatever decisions they make, and this is the key, if they make great decisions or horrible decisions, I must reward the fact that they made decisions. So if they make a decision that actually causes the invoicing to be all messed up, I'd say, you know what, it's, it's a shame that we had a different outcome than we wanted, 
I trust you to fix this. But I also want to acknowledge I'm proud of you that you made a proactive decision that you felt was in the best interest of the company. Go, go, go. <laughs> and root on bad decisions. That is a true ego test for many entrepreneurs. Mm. And many of us, myself included, fail that. And I fail that continuously, which thrust me back into the early stage of doing. Once I got my ego out of the way, and I still have to put in check, like it slips back in all the time. I move on to designing and designing again is orchestrating my team of resources, my people, my vendors, all to move us toward a common goal. Gosh, and, and, and the way you describe true delegation, I mean, what employee wouldn't just show tremendous loyalty to a leader who's giving them that kind of autonomy, I guess, in one sense, but just confidence to, to do the job? Yeah, it's very engaging. And I can say it's from my own practical and personal experience and everyone I observed. And it is extremely hard for that to become a reality because what I found is it's in the best interest of my employees and everyone I studied as an employee to come to the boss and say, what do you want, boss? Because if the boss gives you the wrong direction and you do it and it fails, it's not your problem. The boss <laughs> said to do it. So there's a protection mechanism for the employee. The irony is it is also in the best immediate interest of the entrepreneur to make decisions for their employees because it's faster. Mm. It's just easier to say, do this and take care of it. It is harder to guide and coach them through outcomes. The default kind of nature is actually to go back to this deciding phase. So we have to fight our own ego and natural tendency for the easy way out. And so do our employees to move to this outcome-based thinking, this delegation phase. Thinking of the next step in the process, I, I loved your queen bee analogy, the hive analogy that, that you utilize to, to express this idea. I'm wondering if you would be willing to expound on uh, what it means to declare your company's queen bee role. Thank you for asking that um, this has become, you know, we had a pre-release go out. I know you have a copy and, and a few other people do. And the most common question I guess about the QBR, I think this is the take home. I want people to take, if you will, when they read clockwork, but this is what it is. As I was studying business efficiency in clockwork, um, I say all these different types of businesses and was looking for a common thread that defines what makes a business run on automatic. The, the goal I have with this book mm. And I found that every business had something, the, the successful ones, but there was no common threat, uh, which was very frustrating. And that's another reason it took me so long to write this book. Mm -hmm. I went on a, a, a tangential path to seek out maybe a different common thread, and I ultimately found it. What I believe, what organism or organization, I should say, that has the ultimate rules or system for efficiency, it's not a human-based uh, organization. It is an organism. It's it's bees. Mm. And what I found is, and, and maybe you've experienced this yourself, you see a bee flying around your window one day, and the next morning you wake up, and there is a massive beehive there. <laughs> True scalability. Mm. So how do they do this? Well, they follow a very simple system. Every bee is trained on what the queen bee role is. It's inherent to them. Mm. Now, the queen bee role is the function of laying eggs for a beehive. What this is, is the most critical function that the survivability and ultimately thriveability of that organization, if you will, depends on. That is the heartbeat for the, the beehive, is the laying of eggs, because bees die very quickly. They have about an eight-week lifespan maximum, so mm. the production of eggs is important. The queen bee happens to be the employee, if you will, that serves that role. Now, the one thing that's critically important is to realize that the queen bee is not the most important bee. Everyone's serving functions. 
the role of laying eggs is the most important function. The queen bee happens to be one serving it, but if she is failing to produce, the bees will expunge her from the community <laughs> and spawn a new one. So mm. it's not that the physical bee matters. It's that that function is, is moving along unimpeded. Mm. So what all the other bees do is follow a simple two-rule process. Protect the production of eggs, if it is failing to happen, revert from whatever they're doing to protect that and serve that. Uh, feed the, the queen bee more. Uh, cool the hive. Heat the hive. Do things that spawn egg production. Rule number two is once that is being protected and served, then they can go on and do their primary job function, which may be defending the hive, stinging that you know person wandering by <laughs> to make sure that person doesn't poke the hive. So every business I've discovered now that is efficient, knows its queen bee role. That primary function that your business's survivability and thrivability depends on. And as an example, I've, I've been picking on FedEx recently because they're a great example because everyone knows the brand. Mm. Um, but this applies not just to mega corporations. It applies just as much to small business. But FedEx, as an example, their brand promise, what they're known for is to deliver your packages on time. You know, if it absolutely positively needs to be there, mm. FedEx promises it to get it there. That's the brand promise. We all have a brand promise. What's that thing you want to or intend to be known for? Then if you peel back the onion just one layer, we ask ourselves, what's the function, the activity that makes that brand promise a reality? That's the queen bee role. And so for FedEx, it's the logistics. If they say, you know what? Screw logistics. Let's really ramp up our customer service. Let's be known for happy customers. They will go out of business overnight. Mm. You know, packages aren't being delivered on time. We're going to go to UPS or an alternative, but see you later. Now, conversely, Zappos, we all know, uh, or many people know, they've defined themselves as customer happiness. They, they invest everything in the customer service aspect. Mm -hmm. They want to be known for customer service. So if they want to be known for customer service, you peel the onion back, it's how the customer service is delivered. That's the queen bee role for them. In our businesses, we have to be very clear what our brand promise is. What's the one thing we intend or already known for? Then peel back the onion and say, what's the one function supporting that? That role, the queen bee role, must be protected by every employee. It must always be the priority over everything else. I love uh, Seth Godin's new podcast, Akimbo. Have you ever listened to that? I have not. His latest episode is on customer service, and funny enough, he uses in the in that single episode both FedEx and Zappos as examples. Oh, uh, <laughs> I swear to God, I did not steal from him. From him. I had no idea that I got. Now I got to listen to it. Well, I, I'd love you to compare and contrast a little bit, if you would, Mike. How some of these these steps or concepts impact your business, depending on whether it's a few people or lots of people, or or just you know maybe you're just a solo entrepreneur. Yeah. So um, as I wrote this book, it's intended for the small businesses, even the solopreneur. I, I kind of put a tagline in saying if you're uh, a business of one or 1,000 or anywhere in between, this applies to you. Mm. I, ironically, if that's the right choice of words, the smaller the business, the more likely the success because the adjustments are easier to make. The intended outcome is to have the business run itself. What I mean by this is that there is not a dependency on the owner's production for the business to be successful. Mm. Let me kind of put an analogy because I think this drives it home. I used to say for the longest time, Jeff, that my business and myself, the relationship we have was a parent-child relationship. I'm the parent of this, of this business. I, I birthed it effectively. Mm -hmm. I'm now trying to nourish it with the belief that one day it would get its own legs 
it would be an adult and the business would return the favor to me. Mm. And I have now challenged that that analogy and don't believe it's true anymore. Mm. I don't believe we're a parent-child relationship. I believe it's actually conjoined twins. I believe mm. that the business and I are kind of birthed together and our relationship is such that we share critical organs. Uh, mm. You know, All the vital elements are connected. The, the, we share the same legs. And therefore, the separation from me from my business is not that one day it'll have its own legs. It is a surgical, very specific and deliberate process of separating the two of us to the point where we don't share critical organs. There is no codependency, but we will always share the same soul. So in Clockwork, I talk about this process of separation. The goal is, as we started off with the four Ds, to know how you're currently operating the business and then very deliberately through a sequence of steps, slowly remove the dependency of the business on you mm. and, and give it to other resources or people uh, or virtual uh, teams. The end test, the final test is what I call the four-week vacation. I'm now lovingly calling Operation Vacation. <laughs> and what this is, is I believe that for almost any business in the world, if we as business owners can remove ourselves from the business for four consecutive weeks, a physical disconnect, but also a digital disconnect. Most businesses go through all of the elements uh, it experiences in, in four-week cycles, collections, engaging new customers, hiring employees, perhaps removing a customer, or firing employee, administrative responsibilities. Every month or so, we go through the entire cycle. So therefore, if we remove ourselves, can the business run on its own in our absence. If it passes that test, we now have the mustard for the business to run on its own. So the goal, therefore, the declaration I challenge people to make in clockwork is when they start this process to first schedule that four-week vacation and make it a true declaration where there's a commitment to others. Mm. You know, and, I, and I'm not saying this has to be some grand vacation. You're going to you know, Puerto Vallarta <laughs> for four you know, weeks and blowing all the money you have with your family and friends. Maybe you're going to your mother-in-law's. But I, I'm just saying, you're getting out. Once you make that declaration, the way we perceive our business, there's this fundamental shift. And I hope it's a big enough jolt to no longer be in that survival trap of what will get me through the day? What's the biggest fire of the day? And instead asking how am I going to get through this? Who do I need to engage to get us through this? And now start looking at ourselves as a much more strategic person to be much more of a designer and get out of the doing. That's the big ask I have of people. And of course, and I walk them through all the steps to make that a reality, but we start off with this kind of outrageous request. And I love that, that, that you include that at the end of the book, walking through the, the operation vacation, as you put it, and looking at 18 months out, 16 months out, 14 months out, marking your milestones toward actually achieving that goal. I love that. Uh, you, you mentioned, too, a, a couple of exceptions as examples, I think, people like Marie Forleo or or Tony Robbins, you know, folks yeah. who are content creators and, and who run businesses that you know, they're the face of and, and, and the businesses as they see it today, at least, are, they're, they're dependent on those faces. Uh, what would you say about folks who are thinking, gosh, I think I may be the exception? Yeah. So uh, as I was writing the book, I, that's why I intentionally sought out is, does this work in all cases? And it doesn't work in all cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's why I highlighted Marie Forleo, uh, spent some time with her. I've actually known her for 10 years and, and or over 10 years now. I've been studying her progress. We actually did a pilot TV show together mm. uh, about 12 years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't because it never went live. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was interesting. One way that clockwork doesn't work is simply the declaration we make as the owner that I don't want to be independent of my business. Mm. 
Now, here's the thing. Once the business is is operating on its own, we have the freedom to do what we want when we want. We do have the elective to reinsert ourselves in the business in the way we want. And I think that's the power of being an entrepreneur. So I'm not suggesting that all of us say, you know what, now the business runs on its own. I want to go to the beach and drink Mai Tais every day. <laughs> I mean, it sounds nice for a week or two, but there's a certain point that I actually get more joy of being within my business. I just don't want to do the work that I don't want to do. But there's some people like Marie Forleo who says, I want more than to be able to be kind of move in and out of my business. I get joy out of being the queen bee and the only queen bee. Because mm. what I studied, by the way, is once you know what the queen bee role is, in the beginning stages, often the entrepreneur is serving it, but to truly extract yourself, the laying of eggs has to be done by other people. Mm. Like the founder of FedEx is not the one moving the packages around, it's other people. Mm. Jeff Bezos is not packaging up your recent Amazon order, someone else is, but that is the queen bee role, is the convenience of purchases through Amazon. So Marie has made a declarative or declarative that she is going to serve that role. She realizes the trade-off is the day she says, I'm calling it quits and not producing content. That's their role. They, they generate amazing, fresh, mm. impactful content. The day she decides that she's no longer going to serve that, the business will, will dwindle. The day Anthony Robbins says, I'm retired. I'm not going to do another presentation ever again. That brand has been compromised significantly. And maybe they'll try to phoenix their way out and rebirth as a new brand. Mm. But it is totally hinged upon their ability to participate. We have the right to make that decision. You can make your business run you know, efficiently and serve that queen bee role. Or you can make it run independently, but that requires that you don't serve the queen bee role. Mm. Now, I, I noticed uh, folks uh, like financial advice guru uh, Dave Ramsey, who over the last several years has inserted new uh, additional uh, uh, personalities into yes. the company, speakers who are up and coming, it seems. And, and I, I wonder and assume that a lot of that has to do with he realizes that you know, the company is going to go on without him at some point and he needs to be prepared when that happens. So I, I wish I included his story in the book. Um, I decided not to because I didn't have enough insights. Mm. I did spend now multiple days in Nashville with their leadership team, with their employees studying this. And I think his execution of this kind of preparation uh, for the business to run independently of him is nothing short of phenomenal and, and is a great case study. So much so that while I haven't documented it for a book, I have documented it for our own internal use and myself mm. have started that process because I can see how I'm going to entrap myself by being an author. How do you transition? Mm. His execution is phenomenal. And I encourage everyone just to study what he's doing. So how long were you in Nashville? Uh, I think about a week, con not consecutively though. I was down for two days, went back. I worked with four or five people at the Entree Leadership mm -hmm. location. Yeah, and you're in Nashville too, right? Yeah, you you didn't you didn't call. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Next go around. I get down to Franklin every so often. Um, so I, next time I'm down there, you know what? Shame on me. I got. I will look you up. I will force a beer down your gullet. <laughs> Well, I, I've touched on three or four of, of the steps. I want to move on to a couple of questions not directly related to the book, Mike, if I may. Uh, before I do that, is there anything else uh, you want to make sure we know about the book and, and take away from it? Maybe, maybe one last final thought is, is it is a throttle as, as opposed to a switch. What I felt, and I already alluded to this, is that many entrepreneurs, myself in particular, thought that the harder I worked, one day the business will have wings, <laughs> that there's this kind of transformational moment of a massive client or a big <laughs> investor. And uh, now I've concluded that is so unlikely. It's like, it's like investing in the lottery, right? Mm -hmm. It's so unlikely that moment will ever happen. And it's a shame, therefore, many entrepreneurs are exhausted and actually have no way out or didn't have a way out. 
I think the way out is a throttle. And I believe that clockwork is that process. It's the recipe. It, it is multiple stages. And I don't want anyone to read this book thinking, you know, within 30 days, I'll be you know independent of my business. But I believe that if you do start the process now and you're very deliberate about it, you'll get the momentum, throttle up to it. And then maybe it is 18 months, maybe it is two years and the business is independent of you. The, the people who have achieved this, by the way, have the highest value businesses because now external parties see this and say, wow, I'm not hiring Mike McCallowitz or Jeff Brown. I, I'm actually getting an organization I can plug and play. And if Jeff decides to hit the beach and drink Mai Tais, good for him. Our success is not contingent upon him. And therefore, the value of this company is more than ever. Mm, love it. Well, I want to ask you a question that I'm pretty sure I asked you when you were here four years ago. In fact, I'm looking at my website now to see. Yes. So I asked you then to recommend some books, uh, books that have had an impact on you. And I'm going to remind you of the books you recommended then and challenge you to recommend new ones. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Okay. So the books back then were uh, Scientific Advertising by oh, yeah. Claude Hopkins, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain, and Moonwalking with Einstein. Was, oh, was yeah, the yeah, third. Yeah. I love those. Uh, since four years have has passed since we last spoke here on the show, what is on your radar as far as books go since then? Uh, so let me start off with a, a classic um, that has been the, the impact on me has been extraordinary and I never anticipated it would be. It's a book called The Goal by Elijah Goldratt. And it was written really for manufacturers. It purports this theory of TOC or theory of constraints. I now realize after reading that book, and now having three copies of it, one in my home, one in my office, and one in my bag with me in my Kindle, is that the implications are every business is a manufacturer. We're all manufacturing something, an experience of some sort, an offering of some sort, intellectual property, that the theory of constraints applies. A phenomenal read. It helps you find the choke points of your business. And when you alleviate that choke point, the entire business rises up. Another one, I'm just actually looking right behind me where I have my bookshelf. I just finished reading Presuasion, which mm. is the follow-up by Robert Cialdini to Influence. Mm -hmm. um, as good of a read, if not better. And I think it, it's just a matter of time before it will supplant Influence mm. as his most impactful book. He, he proposes a new theory of persuasion. Influence, I think he, he specified six or seven uh, ways to be persuasive. And he's now revealed another one, one that he didn't include in the first book and recently discovered. And it's, it's basically setting the stage for... Persu persuasion is the most important thing we need to do. Uh, really I, uh, insightful read. Um, and then, oh, predictably irrational. I, I, you know, I just love the study of humanity because it's really, a, you know, of course, it's a reflection upon myself. And I'm like, oh my God, how irrational am I? But how predictable is it? So predictably irrational is a phenomenal read too. Mm. Well, Mike is a really funny guy. Uh, it, it's impossible to read one of his books without <laughs> cracking up laughing. As, as you, I thank love you. that about your writing, Mike. Uh, and, oh, thank you. Uh, public speaking, certainly that, that comes into play as, as well. Um, I've not had a chance to, to see him speak live, but have watched him via the magic of, of the Internet. I'd love for you to share, Mike, if you would, any tips you might have for those wanting to get better at that craft. Mm. What, 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 would you, what advice would you give? Yeah, so I think I think it's the most important craft, and uh, I am far from mastery, but I would now say I am a little bit beyond infantile or amateur status. <laughs> a couple things. W one is to truly embrace ourselves. So my humor, admittedly, is a goofy, self-deprecating humor. That's naturally who I am. Mm. The greatest compliment I ever got was someone was hearing an audio of me, and it was an old high school, I'm sorry, old college friend, but didn't know it was me. He was just listening to an audio, and he told the person that was also listening and said, you know what? That sounds so much like this guy I knew back in college. <laughs> well, it was the guy he knew back in college. And I, I, 
I take that as the greatest compliment. Mm. Uh, not that I haven't grown up and matured, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that I am true to my authentic self. Be unabashedly yourself. Uh, that resonates with people. Mm. It doesn't resonate with everyone. Mm. There are people who see me speak and say that guy is uh, is pathetic. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, why isn't he more intellectual? But it's just not who I am. The other thing, the great tip is. I think everyone should take an improv class. I, I went through Dale Carnegie public training. Mm. I went through this course with a, a guy named Michael Port called Heroic Public Speaking, which was amazing. And I also did an improv class. The greatest growth for me came from the improv class mm. because I realized we are not on the stage giving a speech. We are on the stage giving a performance and that anomalies happen. Our ability to embrace and make that anomaly the, the highlight of a presentation is an unheralded critical ability mm. uh, and, and an improv class is, is so inexpensive like you can take out your local county college adult education course for you know 10 bucks a session and the growth that comes from it for public speakers i think is nothing short of remarkable you reminded me as you were talking of uh, the profit first podcast and it's impossible to listen to five minutes of that without not only getting a lot out of it but also cracking up numerous times so <laughs> thank you know. yeah and, and you know and, and it, it kind of spits in the face of traditional or, or i should say appropriate podcasting where it's like <laughs> don't have you know just get to the facts man and i i get it mm. i get it. but there is an audience out there that says you know what just lighten up my day a little bit first before yeah. we talk about anything heady and um so it, it kind of works yeah, it does. It works really, really well. I, I could never pull it off, but you do it amazingly well. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> well, the book is, is Clockwork, Build Your Business to Run Itself. His name is Mike Pakalowitz. Mike, thank you so much for, for being here and, and taking time out of your schedule to do this, especially as the book is, is now launching. I know it's a really busy time, so I really appreciate it. Well, the thank you goes to you. I mean, for, for you to devote an, a, a repeat guest is, a, is significant for me. And for you to do this around the launch is just so kind of you. So thank you. And Jeff, it really was an honor to finally press flesh with you and shake hands. Uh, it was a pleasure to meet you face to face. Likewise, likewise. Thank you so much. Once more, Mike's book is out as of today. And don't forget, Mike's our special guest when we meet at the end of September 2018 to walk through as a group Mike's book, Clockwork. If you like the idea of a book club where the author is actually there with us as we're walking through the book, then you want to check out Read to Lead University. Through the end of this month, August 2018, you can get your first month for just a buck when you go to readtoleaduniversity.com and enter August in the coupon code field at checkout. Again, that's readtoleaduniversity.com. To dig into the links and resources that Mike and I talked about today, including the books that he recommended, you can find all of that on the show notes page for this episode. It's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 229. If you're in a job or a career that you thought was going to be something else and you've decided that you don't like it much at all, I want to recommend a podcast to you. It's from my friend Goli, and it's called Lessons from a Quitter. It's a fairly new podcast. She's about seven or eight episodes in now. And she says it's never too late to start over, no matter how much time or money you've spent chasing your degree or a certain job to, to get that coveted position. She says if ultimately you're unhappy, then it's time to leave. Each and every episode, Goli, a fellow quitter will interview guests who've quit lucrative careers themselves to forge their own path and create a life they love. You'll get insight, you'll get inspiration, tools, and resources to help you quit what you hate and figure out what it is that you love. Again, it's Lessons from a Quitter. I've got a link to it in the show notes page, or you can search Lessons from a Quitter in your favorite podcast app. And finally, Chandler Bolt and I want to give you a free copy of his book published. Don't forget, you get it free when you sign up for his 
is also free training. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash publish to get both free right now, but only for a limited time. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,